right, let's, uh, let's open with prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, uh, we again thank you for just the wonderful privilege of coming together to worship you, to study your word, and uh, Lord, to talk about the heart. And uh, God, uh, we know that you uh, should take first place in our heart. And uh, God, I just pray that as we consider what your word says about the heart, about the way it works, uh, about the way that uh, we should uh, attempt to direct our heart, uh, Lord, that we would just gain a, a greater understanding, Lord, that we would be encouraged uh, to strive for what is good, uh, to submit ourselves to your law, and Lord, that we would honor you in all things. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so we are continuing our study of understanding the heart. Um, in his book, uh, With All Your Heart, uh, Craig Troxell identifies three aspects of our inner life that the Bible uses the word heart for. Um, I quizzed you last week, you guys just nailed it. So it's, it's the mind, the desire, and the will are the three aspects that he identifies. And uh, I know it's been mentioned before, but Pastor Rick printed off this handy little chart here that kind of lays out the structure of Troxel's book and our uh, and our study, and they're they're available back um, back on the on the back table there if anybody doesn't have one and wants one. It's uh, very handy for getting just kind of the the flow of thought that we're going through. Um, in previous weeks, we've looked at the mind of the heart. Uh, how in each of us uh, uh, it has fallen short of the standard that God has set and how Christ as prophet renews our minds to think and to know as we should. And this week we're going to begin to look at the desires of the heart. Now the Bible speaks of our deepest longings not just as desires but as the desires of of our hearts. That's actually biblical language. Uh, David says in Psalm 21, he says, O Lord, in your strength the king rejoices, and in your salvation how greatly he exalts. You have given him his heart's desire and have not withheld the request of his lips. Now before David was king, Saul had been given the kingdom. Uh, but he was jealous of David and went to great lengths to try to find him and kill him. Uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 23, beginning in verse 19, it says, Then the Ziphites went up to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is not David hiding among the strongholds of Horesh on the hill of Hekelah, which is south of Jessamon? Now come down, O king, according to all your heart's desire to come down. And our part shall be to surrender him into the king's hands. And so there you see both the positive and the negative. You see uh, David uh, presumably having good desires that God is, is granting him. And you see Saul, who has wicked desires, desires to, to kill David because he is envious of him. Um, but in both cases, they're, they're spoken of as the desires of the heart. Uh, in the New Testament, we find the same language being used. Paul, as he considers the Jewish people who have rejected Christ, says in Romans chapter 10, verse 1, Brothers, my heart's desire 
and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Uh, so that's, that's his heart's desire. That's, that's what he really, really wants to come to pass. Uh, the, the Bible speaks of evil desires as coming from the heart. This should be familiar language. Uh, Mark chapter 7, uh, verses 21 through 23. Uh, Jesus says, For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, <clears throat> deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, all these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Um, very much addressing the issue of, are we just concerned with external ritual here, or is there a problem with your heart? Is it the desires of your heart that are the issue? Um, and Jesus identifies that these evil desires come from within the heart. Uh, James chapter 3, verse 14. But if you have bitter jealousy... And selfish ambition in your hearts do not boast and be false to the truth. Um, again, just James affirming the same thing. But also, we are called to godly desires flowing from the heart. It's not just that there's wickedness in our hearts, but there at least ought to be good godly desires in our heart. Jeremiah chapter 21, verse 13 you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. It's a call that our heart be in it, uh, that, our, uh, that our inmost desires uh, be to seek the Lord our God. And he says, you, see, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verse 5. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. So this love, this desire for the good of the brethren, it issues from a pure heart. Now, when we consider, uh, we talk about desires. Um, are desires good or bad? What do you think? Both. Both, that's exactly <laughs> right. And the Bible speaks this way. Now, in, in English, we, we tend to have um, words that have a you know either a good connotation or a bad connotation sometimes. Uh, but if we look at the biblical languages, um, at least the words that Troxel uh, does a survey of, he shows very clearly that they can be used you know for for good desires or for uh, for evil desires. Now, I'm going to apologize up front because I don't know Hebrew. So, um, as I say these words, I'm probably pronouncing them absolutely horribly. So, uh, if you want if you want the proper pronunciation, then you might talk to Pastor Rick. He, he might be able to handle it better. But um, but the, the first word that Troxel looks at is uh, the Hebrew word uh, kamad. Um, and if it's bad, it's, it's often translated covet uh, in, uh, in, our, in our English translations. It's interesting that we rarely ever use the word covet in a good sense. I do remember, though, when I first heard people uh, you know, use the phrase, we covet your prayers. And I was just like, what? <laughs> you know, isn't it wrong to covet? You know, it's, but, uh, but we do occasionally use it in a positive sense. But, uh, but generally, it's, it's used in a negative sense. Um, I think exclusively the Bible translators use it in the, 
in a negative sense. Um, but just to show you some examples of the of the word being used, uh, Genesis chapter three verse six. We actually talked about this in a previous lesson. Um, this is when Eve is being tempted uh, to disobey God in the garden. Uh, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, there's our word, uh, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. And so there we see Eve's um, sinful desire to disobey God. Um, it uses this word for desire. Uh, Exodus chapter 20, verse 17, you shall not covet. I mean, this is right from the Ten Commandments. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Um, so there, again, the translators have chosen to use the word covet there, but it's, it's simply uh, a word for desire in the Hebrew, definitely a negative sense. Um, in the famous story of Achan from Joshua chapter 7, beginning in verse 20. And Achan answered Joshua, Truly I have sinned against the Lord of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar, and 200 shekels of silver, and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them and took them. So again, this is a, an evil desire. Um, and even Proverbs chapter 6, verse 25, we are warned, uh, do not desire her beauty in your heart and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. That desire there, it's, um, it's obviously an evil thing. Uh, but in the converse, you have the same word used uh, for positive desires. Isaiah chapter 27, verse 2, uh, in that day, a pleasant vineyard, sing of it, and the word pleasant there is actually that same word. It's kind of the idea of a desirable vineyard. Um, speaking of the law of God, David says in Psalm 19, verse 10, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Uh, so again, very positive sense. Um, and just to, we'll, we'll go a little briefer over some of these other words rather than just giving you long lists of, of, uh, of verses. But if you're interested, you look in Troxel's verse, he, or in Troxel's book, he goes through several verses for each of these words uh, that show both the positive and negative. But I'll be a little briefer here. Um, so the next word uh, is something like teshuka. Um, a Hebrew word. It follows the same pattern, uh, Genesis 4, 7, uh, 4, 6, and 7. Uh, the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. And then on the flip side, uh, Song of Solomon, chapter 7, verse 10. Uh, it says, I am my beloved's, and his desire is for me. So, again, this, this word is used both ways. And then, um, I really don't know how to pronounce this one. It's like a mark and a W and an H when it's put in English letters. Um, anyway, 
Numbers 11.4, it appears, says, uh, Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving, and the people of Israel also wept against or wept again and said, oh, that we had meat to eat. So so here's a, a, a strong desire, a craving. This is where, you know, they're they're in the wilderness and they want to have meat and they're sick of just eating manna. Um, and so they have this craving, this evil desire. Um, but again, on the flip side, Psalm 132, verse 13, for the Lord has chosen Zion and he has desired it for his dwelling place. Now the Greek follows the same pattern um, with the uh, I'm a little better with the Greek but uh, epithymial uh, epithymio word group something like that um, again you can you can look in Troxel's book and he will give you these these words exactly um, Galatians chapter 5 verses 16 and 17. Uh, actually, you have both sides of it appear. Uh, it says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So there we see, it's like there's the desires of the flesh and the desires of the Spirit. Uh, both are uh, at work in us. It's using the same word. Um, Troxel gives a quote from J.C. Ryle. Uh, it's fitting for this passage. Uh, he says that every Christian's heart is a field occupied by two rival camps. So both of those desires are in us. Good desires and evil desires. Um the word is used, uh, again, just in various places uh, for uh, sinful desires. Uh, another verse that we looked at uh, earlier in the study, Matthew chapter 5, verse 28. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent, that's the word there, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Uh, or Galatians chapter 5, uh, verse 24. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Um, also, John chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires but whoever does the will of God abides forever. But then again we see uh, that it's used in numerous places for godly desires. Uh, Matthew chapter 13, verse 17. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. So there, it's a righteous desire. It's a desire to see the work of God uh, being played out in history. Um, Luke chapter 22, verse 15, And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. So, that's a whole lot of just like verses that just show you the way the words are used. Um, hopefully that wasn't too boring. 
but it's a it's a good introduction just to understand the way that the Bible uses these words desires. So biblically speaking, desires in themselves are not good or evil. Uh, the question is the object of your desire. Is it lawful or is it unlawful? Uh, and we are called to have godly desires. Um, but yeah, it is very much a both. Desires are both good and evil. Um, and we just have to address each of them uh, in a, you know, on its own merits, as it were. Now, Scripture points to the heart as the origin of these spiritual longings. Um, it's not surprising, then, that the Scripture would employ the language of thirst and hunger to speak so graphically about our spiritual appetite. Um, this is, again, passages that I'm sure you're very familiar with, but perhaps you haven't thought of you know, in this way, is that like, when the Bible talks about our desires, it doesn't just talk about the things we desire, but it uses very graphic language, uh, again, related to thirst and hunger. Uh, Psalm 63, verse 1. Says, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Um, you know, it, it just it just brings up that imagery of of being, you know, where it's like you you can't you can't get water. Uh, you're just, you know. I mean, I'm, I'm up here, you know, grabbing my bottle of water pretty frequently because when I talk, I just, you know, I just suddenly start feeling really thirsty. But um, I'm, I'm sure that many of you have experienced it where you're somewhere where you just can't get a drink of water very easily. And you just get so thirsty. And it's like, you want that water so badly. And when you finally get to where you can get it, it's just it just tastes so good because you're, you're finally satisfying that thirst. Um, that's... Um, that's the, the way our desires work, and that's the way our desires for God should be. Matthew chapter 5, uh, verse 6, um, as Jesus is giving the Beatitudes, he says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Uh, many passages encourage us and even command us to desire spiritual things by likening them to food and drink. Um, Isaiah chapter 55, verse 2. Why do you spend your money on that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. Now you could look at that and say, oh, is that going? I'm supposed to I'm supposed to delight myself in you know in, I don't know candy or something like that you know but I mean the the idea is you know this it's the it's it's a picture of the good things from God um, that's what we're to delight ourselves in it's like rich food um, it's uh, it's it's something that that our hearts should yearn for. Um, so often our hearts are turned toward other things, things that, um, according to this, uh, things that are not bread, uh, things that they appear to us to be bread. Uh, they look like they're good. and We seek after them. 
um, but ultimately they don't satisfy. And so we are called to seek after that which actually does satisfy. <laughs> Um, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. Uh, like newborn infants, long for the pure uh, spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. And so there, I mean, the, the knowledge of the things of God, it's likened to milk. It's, um, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, when you, when you think of, you know, infants, when they want their milk, they want their milk. Um, and that's the way that our hearts should be for the things of God. Um, John chapter 6, verse 55. Uh, here in this you know, well-known passage from John 6 where Jesus is, uh, is teaching uh, about himself in ways that uh, confuse people quite a bit. Uh, John 6, 55, he says, For my flesh is true food and my blood is is true drink. And then back in verse 32, Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. Um, so again, he's likening himself to bread. We are to desire Jesus the way that we desire bread, the way that we desire food. Um, these, are, these are not just... Um, Passing desires. This is not like, yeah, I'll, I'll take that. That will be nice. But these are strong desires. It's it's meant to conjure up this uh, this view that these are things that we strongly want. These are things that uh, just really consume uh, who we are as we are seeking after God. Um, again, the uh, the the water analogy. John chapter four verse ten. Uh, as Jesus is talking to the uh, to the Samaritan woman, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Uh, she's very concerned about just regular water. Uh, but Jesus is telling her, Look, there's this living water. That's what you really ought to be seeking. Now, Troxel points out that the Puritans were anxious to emphasize the affections because they saw how crucial the heart was to a Christian's walk with God. Uh, and the Psalms reflect this aspiration by speaking so often of how the heart prays earnestly and joyfully in its longing for the Lord himself. Psalm uh, 42, uh, the first two verses, says... As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Um, again, just that picture of thirst. And um, he's saying that it's like that's, my, that's what my soul wants. My soul is thirsting just like a, like a deer is thirsting for water. Uh, Psalm six, uh, 63, uh, verses 1 and 5. Uh, o God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. Uh, again, 
seeking after God, and God is portrayed um, in terms of, of drink and of food. And then Psalm 73, uh, verses 25 and 26, after uh, the psalmist has uh, had his struggle with viewing the, uh, the evil and how the evil man seems to prosper, and he finally comes to his senses and he says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So there you see, his desire is focused on God. That's Everything else fades into the background. Um, that's, that's what he wants. He wants to have God. God created us to desire. Uh, and it's when we twist our desires toward inappropriate ends or in disproportionate levels that things go wrong. Uh, our, our desires have gone astray when they are out of bounds or out of balance. Um, but still, our desires uh, are often strong, and they should be strong. That's not uh, not a bad thing. Sometimes uh, it can be portrayed as if, if you have strong desires, there's something wrong with that. Uh, but that's not the case. Um, it's just our strong desires need to be pointed in the right direction. Um, now we have seen that our desires uh, come from the heart, and and I apologize for the lack of me asking questions. I know I usually ask lots of questions, but this has been a section that was like it was really hard for me to come up with good questions to ask you guys. Um, so, but here I have a question. Um, we have these desires that that come from the heart. It's out of the heart that these things come. Um, do they remain in the heart? Or do they manifest themselves in our actions? What do you think? Yes and no. Yes and no? Sometimes they're, we keep them pretty well hidden. Uh huh. Um, but it's uh, because of our desires that we do the things that we do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is true. Yeah, I mean, it is true that, that often our desires are hidden. Um, sometimes. Uh, I think we we hide our desires because we're ashamed of what they are, and we don't want you know we don't want people to know like what's really making us tick. Uh, but ultimately, it is as you said, um, it's our desires that motivate us to do the things we do. So our desires, what's in our heart, uh, just begins to flow out in our actions. Our actions, in a sense, are a a way that you can gauge what's in the heart. You want to know what's in somebody's heart. You look at what they do, and what they do is going to reflect what is in their heart. Um, James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15 uh, says, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Now our desires are very potent. Uh, they drive us to do things that under normal circumstances we would never do. And this can be, uh, as we've seen, either good or bad. Just like our desires can be good or bad, the things that we do because of our desires uh, can be either good or bad. Uh, sticking with James, uh, he, puts a, he, pre- he presents a pretty dark picture in chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. 
He says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So there he presents a, a very dark picture. People who are who are murdering, who are, who are quarreling, who are fighting, who are, um, who are asking just to get, just to spend on their passions. Um, this, is, this is a picture that, you know, our hearts can motivate us to do all sorts of evil things. Um, things that we might not, might not do under normal circumstances, but we have this desire, and so then we're willing to take that extra step, uh, whether it be something as extreme as murdering people, um, or just you might say something unkind to somebody uh, just because it boosts your own ego. Um, or you trick somebody to get some kind of financial advantage or all sorts of things that you have this desire, you have something you want, and so it pushes you to, to do something that you might not normally do. Now, on the other hand, um, when uh, Jesus uh, drove out the money changers uh, out of the temple in John chapter 2, it says uh, in verse 17, his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume you. <clears throat> now, I think it can be safely said that Jesus didn't routinely chase people around with a whip. That was, I mean, just based on what we see from Scripture and even from the reaction of when he did it, um, this was not something he normally did. But what, according to his disciples... Uh, and their remembrance, what was it that motivated Jesus to to take on this very odd behavior of chasing people around with a whip? What was it? It was seeing the temple of the Lord being used mm -hmm. improperly mm -hmm. right. and for sinful gain. Yeah. yeah. So it was his zeal for the honor of God's name that drove him um, to, to take these actions. So what was in his heart, his love for the Father and his love for the honor of the Father's name was what drove him to do something that normally Jesus didn't, you know, he didn't do this. But in this instance, um, the, the desires of his heart caused him to, to do this. And that was a good thing. Um, I know... Uh, like I'm a I'm a, a big fan of literature. I read you know lots of lots of books, uh, lots of you know well-known novels, just because they're you know sometimes they're really bad, but but often they're really good. They're, there's a reason that they're well-known novels. Um, and one of the things that I just love um, is characters who are willing to risk everything, willing to do very selfless things because they passionately desire to do what's just and good um, and they're just they're just like they're like I'm gonna I've got this choice in front of me I can either take the easy road where I'll be okay um, but injustice happens or 
I can fight the injustice and I'm going to suffer and I may not even succeed, but I'm going to do it because this is what's right. Um, and I just, I just love it when I see, you know, uh, characters in stories that, uh, that behave that way. Uh, but that's a reflection of this. That's a reflection of what's in that character's heart is driving their actions. And it's not just, you know, fortunately, it's not just in novels that this happens. This is, this is something we see people do in real life where they will stand up and they will do the right thing even though it's going to cause them uh, great personal uh, hardship. Um, but this is, this is a good thing. And it's, a, it's a, a picture of what we have with what's in the heart is going to come out in our actions. Um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 17 uh, says, uh, But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see your face. So here, uh, when those who were hostile to Paul's message uh, interrupted his ministry to the Thessalonians uh, and basically kicked him out of town, uh, his desire to see them caused him to work even harder to return. Um, that's the way he expresses it. It's like, it's like we, were, we were working even harder. We were more eager uh, to come and see you again. Um, it's just because of his love for them and his desire to minister to them. Um, another way that we can talk about uh, desires or affections is to talk about what we love. Um, and we often just kind of flow between the, the language of desire and love. What is it that we care for more than anything else? Uh, we often have competing desires, but we give precedence to the things that we love. Um, as Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He understood that the thing that you treasure, that's where your affections are. That's where your love is. Those are the things you desire, whatever you set your heart on. And we are called to set our hearts on God. Uh, Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Now, if we love something more than God, we're engaging in idolatry. Um, this is something that um, when you think of the Old Testament, there was um, often idolatry involved that uh, had to do with a statue made of wood or, or gold or uh, some other substance, some object that people would go and bow down to. Um, that's not really a, a problem in our day, but... Um, Idolatry is still just as much of a problem in our day as it was in the Old Testament times. It just takes uh, a different form, and it took the the form it takes today took the you know it took that form back in the Old Testament. It's just it, they also had the external object oftentimes to go along with it, which we don't. Um, the biblical emphasis is on the desires of the heart. Um, when we place something above God in our affections, then it is an idol. 
whether we have some kind of physical object that represents it or not. Um, and the Bible uses uh, the same language uh, for um, idolatry and for all sorts of other affections that don't have anything to do with the physical object. Uh, it's an interesting little uh, uh, list of verses that speak very similarly uh, that uh, Troxel brings together. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 14, he says, there, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. So he's, he's saying, idolatry, flee from it. Um, and Paul uses the same language. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 18, he says, flee from sexual immorality. Um, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 10 through 11, uh, he says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Uh, it is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Second uh, Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Um, so uh, all of these things that, that Paul uh, says uh, that, uh, that people should flee from are idolatry. I mean, the first one, he, you know, he specifically says, flee from idolatry. But all the others, they're idolatry as well. They are, um, they are passions, desires, loves that have supplanted the love of God. An idol uh, may be a desire that is evil in itself, but it can be something that is good that we make an idol into by, elevate, by elevating it above God. Um, again, um, you know, some of the things that we desire, I mean, you know, um, sexual immorality, I mean, that's just, that's just evil. Um, but there are many things that are that we look at that these they are good, but when we place them above God, they become an idol as well. Uh, Troxel gives a, a quote from uh, from Tim Keller that I thought was just a really good kind of um, barometer check of like you should examine these things because it's a lot of things that you might not necessarily think about. Uh, but he says that an idol can be family and children, or career and making money, or achievement and critical acclaim, or saving face saving face and social standing, a romantic relationship, peer approval, competence and skill, uh, secure and comfortable circumstances, your beauty or your brains, a great uh, political or social cause, your morality and virtue, or even success in the Christian ministry. It's like, I mean, a lot of those are like really good things. They're, they're, I mean, they're things that you ought to strive after. They're things that um, you ought to desire. Uh, but if those desires become a replacement for God, if those are the things that you desire more than God himself, then they have become an idol. Um, and uh, so we need to consider 
where our affections are, where our love is, where our hearts uh, are pointing us. Well, it follows then um, that scripture associates the heart with our feelings. Um, we tend to be emotional about our, uh, our treasure. The things that we love bring out what lies at our core. Um, and there are several passages that, that speak of the heart um, as uh, being very tied to our emotions. First Samuel uh, chapter 1, verse 8, uh, And Elkanah said to her husband, uh, sorry, And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? And so there we see Hannah, her, her desire uh, was to, to have a son. Um, and her heart was sad because she was not getting what she desired. First uh, Samuel chapter 4, verse 13. When he arrived, uh, Eli was sitting on his seat by the road watching, and his heart trembled for the ark of God. Um, so there we see just the, this anxiety um, because he was concerned about the ark of God. Uh, Psalm 13, verse 5. Uh, but I have trusted in you, sorry, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. So the heart rejoices. It is full of joy uh, because of the work of God. Psalm 69, verse 20. Uh, reproaches have broken my heart so that I am in despair. Uh, Proverbs 13, verse 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. In Proverbs 19, 3. When a man's folly brings uh, his way to ruin, the heart rages against the Lord. Um, so there we see anger in the heart um, because uh, the... In this case, this is somebody who they desire their own temporal good, um, and that is uh, superior to them than anything else. And when God doesn't provide it, then they are angry with God. Uh, Proverbs 23, 17 says, Let not your heart envy sinners, but continue to fear the Lord all the day. Again, uh, very much a, a Psalm 73 type of picture where you see sinners who who have good things, and you're like, those are the things I desire. Um, but that's not what our heart should be set on. Our heart should be set on God. So we should continue to fear the Lord all the day. In Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 18, My joy is gone, grief is upon me, my heart is sick within me. Uh, again, just the, the grief of the heart when you don't, uh, things don't appear to be going the way that, uh, that you think that they should. Um, Paul, as he considers the, the plight of his fellow countrymen in their rejection of Christ, Romans 9, verse 2, he says uh, that he has great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. Um, just all sorts of passages uh, that... Uh, that speak of the heart being very much tied to our emotions and 
um, and bound up with the the desires that we have. Um, the Bible even uh, uses uh, other organs than the heart when it speaks of, of our emotions. And I, I won't go into this in detail, but Troxel, if you're interested, he goes through and talks about how uh, the, the Bible uses terms like liver and kidney um, and associates um, the, the affections of the heart with those things. Um, it's, a, it's definitely a very interesting study. And, um, you know, frequently those things are translated away because they just don't fit our understanding in English. Um, but he, you know, he kind of points at, you know, what the actual words are, uh, particularly in the Hebrew. Um, but, uh, but I mean, also in the Greek, you know, that um, that uh, that are a bit strange to us. I, I can say there was there was one of them. I don't know if I can find it real quick, but um, but you know, we're we're encouraged to you know to have to have. Uh, I think I think maybe this was it yeah, to to be uh, Ephesians chapter four. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, uh, forgiving one another. And I think it was something along the lines of you know that it's referring to your basically your bowels, you know, tender-boweled to each other, um, which is definitely very strange from from our way of thinking. But uh, but the Bible uh, repeatedly uses this imagery of basically our inner organs uh, being associated with our emotions and with our desires. Um, all that to say, I mean, I think really it's just, it's the it's the things that, that really matter to us. It's something that, I mean, it's like, I think we can all relate to when we have uh, strong desires and um, strong emotions, when things aren't going the way we want or or when things really do go the way we want, we, we feel things physically going on inside of our body. Um, and I don't know medically enough to, to know exactly why that is, but it's uh, it's something that, it's not just something that's just happening in your mind. It's not something that's just in your head, but there's this physiological reaction uh, to uh, the situations around us when our emotions are very engaged in what's going on. Um, and when we consider um, the desires of the heart, um, it is important to to remember that there's a connection uh, between all the different aspects of our heart. Um, we have spent the last few weeks talking about the mind of our heart, uh, the things that we think, the things that we know, um, and we're going to be looking at the will, the the um, the, the volition that we have, the, what we choose to do, um, all of these things are tied together and they influence each other. I know we've mentioned that before, um, but um, they, they affect each other. Um, when our desires are not what they should be, it's going to affect uh, what we choose to do. Again, we kind of see that. It's like when we talked about that your actions flow out of what's in your heart. If your desires are pointed in the wrong direction, then it's going to affect your will. It's going to affect the decisions you make. Um, when your desires are pointed in the direction, in the wrong direction, it's going to affect the way you think. It's going to affect what you're able to to know and understand. Uh, the Bible frequently 
um, again, I mean, as we've seen, the Bible frequently speaks of of our apart from Christ, our alienation from God, and our the ignorance that comes from that, and the the confusion and the the lack of ability to understand things, uh, our mental capacities um, are just strongly affected when our desires are pointed in the wrong direction. The heart is deceitfully wicked. Uh, it's desperately sick. It tricks us. It causes us to think things that we really know aren't true. But our desires have pushed it to say, well, yeah, we can rationalize this. Um, and it goes the other direction as well. Uh, when the way we think is incorrect, then it's going to cause our desires to be wrong. When we choose to do things that we should not do, that can even have a, uh, an impact back um, on, the, on our, our desires. Uh, we can actually train our desires uh, by acting on things, by doing things that we ought not do. Um, that, can, that can cause us to, uh, to begin to, to love things um, that we should not. So we have to, to keep all of these things um, in balance, uh, realize that all of these things work together, uh, play off of each other. Um, but we um, ultimately, uh, as we consider the desires of our heart, um, we need to remember that what we are called to desire above all is God and it's also the things that uh, God has um, put in place for us to desire he, I mean he doesn't say don't don't desire anything but me but also desire the good gifts that I give uh, the I mean the wonderful gifts of the fellowship that we have with each other the the families uh, that we have the the ability to work, the the food that he provides for us, the creation that he has placed around us, all sorts of things that we are called to delight in, and these are good things. Um, but our desires should be focused on God and on the good gifts that God has given us. Um, and we need to uh, be aware, lest our desires be turned toward things that God has not uh, ordained that we should desire or to place anything that he has ordained that we should desire uh, in, a, in a level above God. Um, we should delight in those things as gifts of God, not as things in themselves. Any thoughts or questions? I know this has been kind of just like a dump of information more than much interaction, but... Ben? Sure. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, just going along with a lot of what you said, uh, Jesus says whoever doesn't hate his, uh, their family, basically, I can't remember the exact expression he uses. Um, but, you know, we're called to love our family. We're called to love husbands to love their wives, uh, brothers to love their uh, siblings, and so on and so forth. And so there's a sense where it's that right ordering of affections mm-hmm. of God is among all things. And uh, also just the idea of Ecclesiastes, 
uh, where there's a time for, for everything. And sometimes that can be where we slip up too. Right. Um, sometimes this is a good thing to desire, but it's just not the right time. Right, yeah. No, that's a, that's a good point. Because, um, yeah, it, it definitely can be uh, the situation where uh, sometimes it's good to, to desire this and sometimes it's not. Uh, there is a season uh, for everything. So, yeah, um, that's a good point. Any, any other uh, thoughts or questions? Hopefully that was all clear and not, like, too much, just a... Just a, a big dump of here's verses that show this. Uh, sometimes I hesitate to just you know lay on tons of verses, but it's also like I don't want to just be up here and say this is what you should believe. Just trust me on it, you know. Um, I think um, one thing I was thinking about, like as you were talking about how our interpretations or the the, um, the translations we have often just throw everything into tender-hearted. Mm-hmm. And, and sure. I, I think that's one of those deeper meaning pieces where I think there is a lot more than what, like, even just your your kind of general response. We don't think about it like that, but we actually do talk about it like that all the time. Mm-hmm. I have, you know, like, I was thinking about it, and I just had a, that constriction in my throat. You know, like, uh-huh. you can't breathe. When we mourn, we have a deepness in our chest, and it's like, something's laying on us and we can't do it or that I have a gut instinct mm-hmm. we talk about our bodies and the way that it feels inside of our bodies but we can't explain like they're they're deep inside our bodies but those are ways that, that God was saying your desires are all over and, and you feel it in different situations like right. all of us can think about when we mourned at a funeral and it's like a heaviness in your chest so you don't think about it as in your gut right. Right? like you said there's physiological responses to different desires mm-hmm. Your desire for a loss—that mm-hmm. that emotion is so much different than that that loss. You know, when you have, your throat closes up because you have a desire to speak out, or or there's something happening that you you know, like we all have those same responses. Mm-hmm. And I think it's it's good as you read those and think about something like to be tender-hearted, to be tender-gutted. What does that mean? Like, right. what is a gut feeling? Like, we all have different gut feelings, uh-huh. and. Which one of those gut feelings does it mean to be tender gutted towards one another? Right. It's an interesting way that God speaks deeply and he uses our bodies to communicate deeper truths to us mm-hmm. as we meditate on his word. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a good point. That's, I mean, it's one of the reasons we really need, like, pastors who, when, when they exposit the text, that they will bring these things out. Because, I mean, I... I sympathize with the translators because they don't want to make it where it's like you're reading and you're like, what? This is like so different than the way we speak today. I don't understand what it means. Um, so, you know, sometimes they kind of gloss things into just normal, uh, you know, the, the language that we typically speak. But it, it is like, in a sense, there is something that's lost there. And so it's, it's good that, uh, you know, that uh, preachers can, can bring those things out and cause us to, to think more. Uh, thoroughly about about the, what the Bible's trying to tell us there. The other thing too, I think, is that you know part of who we are, we can't see, you know, and it'd be very easy for us to think that that's not there. And mm-hmm. so it's just neat the way that God takes those things that are unseen and He ties those to physiological things, mm-hmm. you know, so that we can understand, you know, sort of understand the experience that we're going through, even though we can't 
right. can't see it and, and touch it and, and things like that. So right. it's just it's just great to see the way that God has thought through all those details to uh-huh. help us to understand even our own our own selves. But, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is, I mean, not to just reiterate what you said, but I mean, it is really amazing just the way that God has created us uh, to respond to things the way we do. I mean, I know oftentimes I wish that my body didn't respond the way it does to certain circumstances, but uh, but God in his wisdom has made us uh, work the way that we do. So, um, and it, and it really kind of heightens our awareness of certain things. Um, and even like we can see it in other people, we can see their body language change as they're going through these uh, physiological changes, and you know, and it, and it helps it, you know us to be able to understand and empathize empathize with people as we see those things. So yeah, those are those are great points. Anything else? All right, well, let's, uh, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we we do thank you for your great gifts to us. We thank you for the way that you have made us, uh, the way that our heart works. And God, I just pray that our hearts would be directed towards you, towards the gifts that you've given us, and that we would prioritize that properly. And Lord, that uh, that our our minds and our wills would also be rightly ordered towards you. Uh, and God, that we could. Um, live as we should, as you have called us to in the gospel uh, for your glory. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.